0: All right, kids, ages three, all the way through kindergarten, you can come down and meet Travis and Candy down here at the front. While they're coming, you guys can open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Pretty slick, huh? Yeah you are looking at those kicks, Sloan? Got a birthday coming up, right? I'll hook you up. Get you some sketchers, some light-ups. All right. Matthew chapter 5. And if you would, please stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Uh, Be with us today as we look at being meek, Father, we look at probably the most sneaky sin uh, that's behind all of our sins, and that is the sin of pride. And so today I pray that you would reveal areas of pride in all of our hearts uh, and show us areas where where we need to mourn uh, and where we need to repent and where we need to turn back to you. Uh, Above all, draw our attention to the cross. It's when we look to the cross where our meek King Jesus died that we're humbled, uh, that we're brought to our knees uh, where we realize what it means to be meek. And I pray that today our attention would be turned there and focus on him. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. You may be seated. We're spending some time going through the Beatitudes this summer. Uh, and what we talked about was is that the Beatitudes are Jesus' description uh, of the good life. Uh, It's Jesus' way of saying, hey, if you want the good life, if you want a blessed life, then this is is what it looks like. It's found right here. It's found in this. Now, a couple of things you have to remember is that first off, he's not telling us this is how to be saved. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, keep all these things, and if you'll keep all these things perfectly, then you'll earn salvation. That's not what he's saying at all. Instead, what Jesus is saying is to the one who has trusted in me and what I've done, then this is what salvation looks like. Then this is what marks you as a people, All right? But the flip side of that is also true too because there's a lot of people out there that'll say, well, we don't need to listen to Jesus's words here because that's pre-cross. We don't need to listen to anything that happens pre-cross, okay? Everything after the cross is is what he was speaking to us about and so he was speaking to the religious people, uh, he was speaking to the Jewish people, so we need to ignore that and that's not what he's saying here at all either. Instead, Jesus was saying for believers, these are the character traits that we should possess, that as Christians, our lives should be marked by these things. So he starts and he says blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember that doesn't refer to material poverty but a poverty of spirit. A poverty of of arrogance that says hey, I have nothing at all to bring to the table that I am rich in sin and I'm poor in goodness. So a person who's poor in spirit is a person who has stopped trusting in their self-righteousness, stopped trusting in what they can do to be saved, and instead they've trusted in the gift righteousness, the given righteousness of Jesus Christ. He says, for the person that does that, theirs is the kingdom. The person who knows the only way I get in, the only way I, I am accepted is through Jesus. Theirs is the kingdom. And then what we said last week is that the person who's poor in spirit will naturally mourn. So what that means is, is not to, to mourn over uh, material loss or, or the loss of a loved one. That's not what he means. He's talking about mourning our sin. Mourning the effects of our sin. It's to see that, as Paul says in Romans seven, 7, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? It's to repent of our sin regularly. Martin Luther said, the entire Christian life is to be one of repentance. So it's to mourn how sin has broken our world, to mourn how it divides people, how it hurts our marriages, our churches, and our communities, and Jesus says this, it's only when we mourn, it's only when we turn away from our sin that we find comfort, because the person who mourns their sin is the person who's comforted because they've been saved by Jesus. It's the person who recognizes that they need Jesus that turns away and they see Jesus on the cross and they're comforted. They're comforted because they know that despite all that we are, he died for us. But that person's also comforted too because as he looks at the world, they're comforted to know that a new world, a better world is coming. A world where the, the effects of sin will be no more. And that brings us this morning to number three. To number three, Matthew chapter five, verse five. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now I think out of all of them, meekness is probably something that's confused more people than any of the other beatitudes. Um, In fact, most people would see meekness as a bad thing. So if you, you were to describe a person and say they were meek, a lot of people, especially men, would go, well, that's not a good thing. I don't want to be seen as meek because to be seen as meek is to be seen as weak right? The, the great Bobby Knight once said this, the meek may inherit the earth, but they rarely get rebounds. It's a great quote, okay? But that reveals exactly what we're talking about right there, right? Most think, people think that meekness means uh, weakness or laziness. It means a, a person that lacks aggression. It means a person that's going to fold like a card table when the truth is at stake. And the reality is, is that this couldn't be further from the truth. So we live in a day and age where, where externals are all that matters. Would you agree? Right? You've heard the term virtue signaling over the last few years. It's a very apt term for where we live right now. Because society focuses on the externals. Right? Get on Twitter right now. Everybody's virtue signaling. Every company is virtue signaling right now. Because that's what you have to do during the month of June. you got a virtue signal. you got to let everybody externally know who you are and where you stand. And don't get me wrong, we need external actions. But if you read the Bible, Jesus never once starts with the externals. Jesus always starts with the internal and then he moves out from there. So the first two Beatitudes, being poor in spirit and mourning, start with the internals. So at this point, it's it's all very private, it's all very thoughtful, it's all internal. So we internally recognize we're poor in spirit. We realize that we're bankrupt of goodness, that we have nothing to bring to the table. Then we mourn our sins. We mourn the damage they've caused to our own lives and the world around us. And every single one of us in this room can agree that privately we have no problem doing that. Amen? Like you know exactly who you are. You, you know your, your hang-ups. You know your shortcomings. You know who you are. You have no problem acknowledging our sin to ourselves, or at least I hope you do. But I think most of us do. I think most of us could say privately, we, we, we know the kind of person that we are. Well, then the third beatitude moves from the internal to the external. Because now we allow others to recognize and comment on our sin and our moral bankruptcy and our need to mourn. See, up until this point, very private, very thoughtful. Now others are brought in to search us and to know us. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Because it's very easy. It, it's very hard to sit there and have someone tell you how bad you are to tell you all the screw-ups and all your hang-ups and, and everything that goes on in your life that you need uh, to repent of and, and to mourn about. and it's very hard for us to sit there and take it and smile and go, "You're right. You're right, right?" The the meek person is the person who's able to smile and say, you don't even know the half of it. But I agree with you. Yeah, it's really that bad. It's really that bad. It's hard. Again, we have no problem agreeing with ourselves on whatever it is, whatever sin it is. But when others point it out, we don't want to go there. That's when we get angry. That's when we get defensive and go, you don't know me. You're just being judgmental. I'll give you a great example, all right? So, so growing up, I was a little bit of a lazy kid, okay? I, I was. Like I always knew I could probably do a little bit better, but hey, man, I can get a B or C without opening the book, so pfft, why try, right? And, and even in, in athletics, I was the same way. Like, hey, you know, eh, I do enough, you know, but eh, you know, just enough. In my junior year, I got kicked off the varsity basketball team. It's a great story. I've probably shared it before. I'll share it again. So There's a group of us that were in... Uh, Off-season, and so when you do off-season, you get to go, you should just play football, okay? I mean, because then they make you run cross-country. It's awful. And um, we just decided one day, we were, I'm just sick of this cross-country stuff, right? And so we waited, and and, and we kind of waited until everybody took off. Well, we decided to take a shortcut and hide behind this giant pine tree. And we hid, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And, And it was a brilliant plan, but then we made one mistake. If you're usually the ones who are dead last, you, you shouldn't finish first. So we come running in there thinking everybody else was done. And and coach is like, what happened? And we're like, what do you mean? And then we realized, Oh no. So we're busted. We're in trouble. So after school that day, basketball coach brings us out on dirt track and says, okay, we're running. This is ridiculous. We got to run a mile. So we go run a mile. Every one of us, you know, loafs it. We come in 12, 13 minutes in the mile. It was great. Well, coach is mad about that, right? For some reason, you know, Rudy over there, he's making us go the extra mile. So he's like, no, we're doing it again because this is ridiculous. And so if any one of you run this mile in under eight minutes, you're off the team. I'm thinking, well, I wanna play basketball. I'm not gonna be off the team. Man, I smoked that sucker, man. I ran it in under six minutes. Yeah, those long legs can move if they wanted to. So after practice, I'm thinking, after we get in trouble, I'm thinking, man, coach has gotta be impressed with that. Well, he calls me in his office and says, hey, If you're capable of that kind of effort and yet you don't give it, I don't need somebody like you on my basketball team. See you later. That was 20 years ago. You can't do that now. You probably have parents going, will you tell you my baby? But anyways, don't don't laugh. Some of y'all probably do that. Um, uh, See? Got you, coach. Um, But here's the thing. I knew I was lazy I knew I wasn't given everything that I could give. But when Coach points that out to me, I was not happy. I can tell you I ranted and raved. I saw him in the cafeteria the next day and I'm like, I ain't talking to him, right? I just walked right on by him. And I did that for weeks. So it was one thing for me to realize that I'm lazy. I'm not giving the effort I'm capable of. It was another thing to have that pointed out to me by somebody else. And see, most of us, if we're honest, we find ourselves in that same boat. We know our issues, we know where we fail, but if somebody ever points them out, then boy, you better watch out. Ask your spouse. Some of you probably got stories. See, meekness means we have the willingness to allow others to say about me in public the same things that I readily acknowledge before God in private. Okay, that's good, I'm going again. It means we have the willingness to allow others to say about me in public the same things that I readily acknowledge before God in private see there's nothing weak about that type of attitude to be humble and gentle enough to say I agree with you doesn't make you a weak person in fact it makes you a strong person John MacArthur in his commentary talks to us about how meekness is just power that's put under control so, so in, in the Greek word, out, outside of extra biblical literature, like meekness is often used to describe a horse or a colt that's not ever been broken. So, so if you ever see a colt that's not been broken, right? My dad used to break them all the time. They're, they're beautiful, powerful creatures. But, but until they're broken, that power is, is out of control, isn't it? But then, whenever you're able to break that colt and put it under control, then all of a sudden you have this powerful animal that's now under control. That's what meekness is. It's to say that it is power that's been put under control. It's the ability to deal with people with tenderness, with sensitivity. It's the ability to deal gently and compassionately with others, and listen, with others with whom we disagree with. And it takes a lot of power that's put under control in order to do that. See, a meek person is a person who's not easily provoked. Psalm 38, 12 through 13 says, those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I'm like a deaf man. I do not hear. I'm like a mute man who does not open his mouth. See, based on that verse, I'm not meek. I I can get amped up about just about anything, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about, you sinful, sick creatures. You know it. And so you're like, hey, I'm just going to throw something out there and we'll just see if we can get Byron ranning on something and then you'll sit back and laugh about it. Yeah, some of y'all do that. It's all right. See, it's the ability to let certain things slide. And, and I'm not meek because I can't. Listen, I'm not meek because meekness is the antithesis of hastiness. I wanted it done yesterday. I mean, I'm angry about this. Right? I'm trying to be calm, but I'm like, man, it should have been done. It's not done. Now i got to wait. I'm going on vacation. I won't get to see it. Till- anyway, it's, it's not getting in a hurry. Listen to this one. Meekness is living in accordance with the abilities that God has given us. So it's neither as if we had more abilities than we have. That's overconfidence. Nor less. That's That's underconfidence. It's living within the abilities that God has given each one of us. I love what Stan Storm says. He says, it's not pressing ourselves into situations we're not equipped to handle. For fear that that if we don't, people won't like us, right? I'm the world's worst at that. I'll say yes to stuff. And then after I say yes, I'll go, man, why did I say, I hate this. Um, They wanted me to to do the the MC for the uh, Miss Hansford pageant. And Mariah said, hey, they want you to do this. And like for weeks, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. There's nothing about me that likes that kind of stuff, right? I'm just not good at that kind of stuff. And it's a beauty pageant, uh, you know, and I don't want to do that kind of stuff. But I was so afraid if I said no, they would be angry at me and not like me. I struggled with it. And finally, I said no. And then I worried about it. I'm like, man, they're never going to ask me to do anything again, Right. So it's not pressing ourselves into situations we're not equipped to handle for fear that if we don't, people won't like us. But then listen, it's not shying away from those we can. So, so that means that, that maybe somebody sees something in you that you're equipped to do and they encourage you to do it and you listen to them and you do it because maybe they see that I can do this when I can't. Right? It's, it's allowing others to speak to us. The greatest story about this is, is, is our good friend Zeke, right? Right? I'll never forget years ago, he was just gonna volunteer and help teach preteens until Jana decided to say, ah, no, you're gonna teach, right? Then I remember Zeke being like, what, no, no. But she saw something in him that he didn't see, and you know what, still hadn't seen a better fifth and sixth grade teacher, and I've been doing this for a very, very long time, right? It was the ability to say, okay, maybe she's right, and I'm gonna step into something that I'm unsure about. See, meekness is properly seeing ourselves. It's a healthy acknowledgement of, of and submission to the sovereign grace of God. First Corinthians 4, 7, I read this earlier. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, Paul's saying everything you have came from God. You didn't earn it. God gave that to you, God gave you the gifts and the abilities you have to be good at your business or to be good at whatever it is that you do. All of that came from God. See, meekness is the opposite of pride. Meekness should always be in direct proportion to one's grasp of grace. So so one commentator put it this way, that pride is the fruit of the lie that what I have I didn't receive. Meekness is the fruit of the truth that everything is of God great story about this is John the baptizer in John chapter three, verses 22 through 30. Listen to this story. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing near Salem and because water was plentiful there and, p- and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness look he is baptizing and all are going to him john answered a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to given him from heaven you yourselves bear me witness that i said i am not the christ but i have been sent before him the one who has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice therefore This joy of mine is now complete. And here's the famous verse. He must increase, but I must decrease. Notice the meekness in John. John's not jealous of his role as playing second fiddle to Jesus. Not at all. In fact, John just reaffirms his subordinate position. He's like, man, it ain't me. I gotta decrease. That dude's gotta increase. I'm not the final authority. I'm just one beggar telling the other beggar where to get the bread. That Jesus has gotta get bigger in my life. I've gotta get smaller that's what meekness looks like. So let's just get real practical with what meekness is. Most scholars believe that right here in Matthew 5 5, that, that Jesus is most likely quoting Psalm 37, verses 5 through 11. Listen to what this says Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices refrain from anger and forsake wrath fret not yourself it tends only to evil for the evil doers shall be cut off but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land in just a little while the wicked will be no more though you look carefully at his place he will not be there in verse 11 but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace so, so, based on what we read there, meek people are, are people who commit their lives to the Lord. So, so first off, meek people don't claim to be self made or self sufficient or, or good enough to make things work on their own. All right? And that's hard teaching for us in America because most of us were born on third base and we think we got a triple. Right? Yeah, some of you will get that on the way home. You're like, man, that's me. I, yeah, I was born on third base. We're not self-sufficient, right? Even if you've worked hard, somewhere along the way, you've had help. Somewhere along the way, somebody came in. The gifts, the abilities you have to make your business go or make whatever it is you do run properly, God gave you those gifts. We've used this before, right? There's not a person on the planet that was in the womb knocking going, hey, yeah, you know, I want to run a 4'2", 40, and be 300 pounds, you know? I mean, if that's possible, I mean, nobody got to do that. God said, hey, I'm going to give you your gifts. So meek people know they're not self-sufficient. Listen, meek people allow God to defend them. The Bible says this about Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verses one through three. So Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married, right? So remember, Moses had most likely married a woman who was a woman of color. And Moses and Aaron, you know, nothing's really changed. They were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he married that girl, right? And so they're they're bad-mouthing him for it. And it says, for he had married a Cushite woman. And then it says, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And if you go on to read the rest of the story, you find out that Moses didn't try to defend himself, but instead he allowed God to defend him. God answered Miriam uh, and Aaron for their sin of bad-mouthing his wife, right? Remember, God struck him with leprosy. Moses didn't do anything. He allowed God to fight for him. Listen, meek people, they're not self-defensive. So remember David after he shinned with Bathsheba and Nathan came and confronted him, right? You, you didn't catch David going, okay, whoa, whoa, Nathan. Now to my defense, I mean, she was on the roof naked. I mean, come on, she was advertising. I mean, who takes a bath on the roof? She wanted me to look, right? David didn't do any of that. He, he, he didn't. He acknowledged his sin, and he said, my sin was against God and God alone. I've sinned. See, meek people are still before the Lord. They wait patiently for him. They aren't self-defensive. Meek people don't fret over what others have. Okay? Ooh, watch out. In a small town, that's our favorite pastime, right? We look at what everybody else has, and then we're jealous of it. And we'll carry all this bitterness and all this anger and all this anxiety around because we look at what they have, we get angry about it, and then that always just leads out to what? Gossip, strife. I mean, half the time the reason we talk about other people is because we're upset about something that they got and they're like, you believe that new pickup they got? Ain't no way that dude's working that hard. Right? And then it goes down from there. Check this one out. Meek people refrain from anger. It means they don't have a short fuse. Meek people keep their anger under control. Remember, it's power, it's put under control. I love this John Piper quote. He says, being meek doesn't, have, doesn't mean they become lazy. It means they're free of frenzy. They have a kind of steady calm that comes from knowing that God is omnipotent and that he has their affairs under his control and that he is gracious and work things out for the best. Meek people have a quiet steadiness about their lives in the midst of upheaval. Whew, I don't got that. Meek people are reachable. See, arrogant, prideful people are convinced that they know it all. They can't be taught, right? And if you ever try to point out to that person that they're wrong, They'll either get angry or then they'll double down and go for broke and say, no, 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 I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, even if it makes them look like an idiot. To be meek means to receive the word of God. You aren't defiant or resistant. You don't get angry when a brother or sister from the scripture shows you where your thoughts or your actions are in error. In James chapter one, verse 21, it says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And what's he saying? Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. To be meek doesn't mean you don't stand up for biblical truth, right? It doesn't mean you compromise your theology to avoid an argument. It means that you argue humbly and quietly, and listen to this, and in love with the person with whom you disagree. That's 2021, that's a tough one right there, right? To argue humbly, quietly, and in love with the person with whom you disagree. Man, Meek being meek doesn't mean we don't stand up to people. I mean, was was Jesus, um, for lack of a better word, a wuss? No, I mean, throughout the gospels, Jesus responded strength to strength. So when he was dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes and their hard-headedness, Jesus stood up to him. He was not weak. But listen to this. When he encountered those who were lowly and broken by their sins, Jesus was gentle with them. In fact, Isaiah tells us a bruised reed he would not break and a faintly burning wick he would not quench. He faithfully will bring forth justice. That's tough. See, really what this boils down to is that meekness is the opposite of pride. The sin of pride is what perverts meekness. And here's the very hard thing about pride. God hates it. He hates it. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs sixteen five, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Now when you read haughty eyes, that does not refer uh, to how a person's eyes look, right? Right, we were watching the Mighty Ducks the other night introducing the kids to the classic, right? Remember Adam Banks, kid on the hawk? He had some haughty eyes, right? I don't ever tell him, look at him, look at that cocky little dude, man, right? That, that's not what he's talking about. Haughty eyes is how a person sees themselves and how they view everyone else. So he sees, him, uh, he sees them as less than himself. He sees them as essentially worthless. He's arrogant. He's puffed up with his own sense of value or his own sense of worth. Or it could be the opposite, right? He's constantly on himself. He's constantly beating on himself. And so he's still all about himself. It's just he takes a different form. Pride is the precursor to all other forms of sin. Pride's the soil for which sin germinates, and grows. So it's from pride that we get envy, bitterness, strife, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, greed. It's that ugly part of our heart that keeps us more concerned with our own reputation than we are with Christ's. I was listening to uh, Tim Keller's sermon on my way home from the wedding last night. And he made this great point as he said, pride's the most sneaky sin there is because the more prideful you are, the less you see it, the less you see it. And as an example, he says, take a person that says, I hate snobby people. He says, well, you can't say you hate snobby people unless you're a proud person who's looking down on snobby people, right? And on and on we go. And here's the thing with pride is that religious pride's the worst pride. Right? And he used this great example again. It was just brilliant that, that Keller said this because he said, you could take any denomination and now all of a sudden they get prideful and they get boastful of who they are. Right? Well, look at us Baptists, man. Right? We do it right. Now don't watch the convention next week. But other than that, everything else we do, we do it right. Right? right? We don't get caught up in all this crazy spiritual stuff like the Pentecostals do. Right? And then the Pentecostals do the same thing about us. Well, man, we've got the Spirit. Those Baptists over there, they just kind of stand there with their you know, hands clenched they don't want to worship. It just manifests itself in different ways. Pride is the sin behind all other sins. Listen, pride's the reason why men are afraid to be sensitive and gentle with their wives. Pride's the reason we won't say, please forgive me, I was wrong. Pride's the reason why some people can't stop shopping because they don't want to appear less fashionable than others. Pride's the reason why We're constantly looking for a bigger house, even though the one we have is big. Pride's the reason why we're constantly looking for a better vehicle. Pride's the reason why we push our kids beyond what is healthy, okay? Catch that part, okay? Pride is the reason we push them beyond what is healthy so that we can show ourselves better and more successful than the other parents down the street. Pride's the reason why most people won't get help in their marriage until it's too late. Pride's the reason so many people won't serve in a visible capacity in the church. Well, I just don't think I can do that. Even though everybody else has told me that I'm gifted or I'm qualified there. Well, I just, I don't know if I can do that, right? It's pride. That's all it is, it's pride. Pride is the reason so many people don't want others to think that they're too spiritual or that their Christianity is too important, right? I mean, we're here, we're at church, right? That's what good Americans do, right? We came, we we're gonna check it off for the, the box for the week, but we don't want others outside of this room right here to, to get the idea that, that you know, ah, we're, we're really serious about our faith. That, eh, we don't want that, right? Yes, yeah, sure, I go to church, but, right? That's pride. This one's gonna sting. Pride's the reason so many of, this, of us in this room don't have any meaningful relationships. I've served in three churches and I'm just, I'm saying this out of love. This church is the worst when it comes to, well, I I, I can't have relationships because of the nature of my job. Really? I'm just gonna start saying that too and let's see how long you keep me at this church. Well, I just can't have any relationships. I'm a pastor, you know, and I just can't let people get too close because you know what I do, I deal with them all the time, so I'm just gonna go lock myself in the house and never talk to anybody. Three months from now, you guys would be clamoring for my job. Well, that pastor never goes and does anything. Well, that pastor never talks to anybody. That pastor doesn't have any relationships with anybody. Pride is the reason why we won't let people in. Pride's the reason some of you are offended right now because I'm landing these grenades a little too close to comfort. See, listen to me. Pride, as one pastor says, is taking credit for what God has done Pride is cosmic theft and God hates pride. God hates pride and so he says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have a proper view of themselves. Blessed are those who are able to take instructions. Blessed are those who are humble. And he says, those who are prideful, they're hated in the eyes of God. But look what he says, blessed are the meek for they shall receive a reward. And look at verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, right? So let's give you some good news now, all right? When someone dies and their wheel is red, a lot of times they'll leave that family, a farm or a ranch, uh, they'll leave something behind. And sometimes the, the parcels of land that are left behind are, are huge, they're, they're a good size. But what Jesus tells us is that the inheritance of this beatitude isn't just a few acres in a barn dough, all right, that this inheritance for us who are meek is the entire earth. And the reason is, is that we're told that we are heirs of God. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also Be glorified with him. So all things in this world have been given to Jesus. And the redemption that he brings is not just simply for the sins of people. That's part of it. But the redemption he brings is for the whole planet. So right now, we said this last week, creation's groaning. It's waiting for redemption. And when Jesus returns, he'll usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And that earth will be owned and inherited by the meek. So see, these first few Beatitudes aren't just for a select group of Christians. So it's not like some of us in here are called to be poor in spirit and some are called to mourn and some are called to be meek. No, we're called to be poor in spirit rather than self-righteous. We're called to mourn over our fallenness. We're called to manifest meekness because you and I have been given the whole earth to inherit. The way we become meek is not by trying to look inside of ourselves and to try to muster up enough meekness, okay? To just do that would be pride, right? We'd look inside and be like, well, you can't find meekness, but I can. Right here, here it is, look at me, right? And then here we go again, we're right back on the pride train. No, the way we become meek is by looking to Jesus. In a sermon entitled The Meek and Lowly Savior, Charles Spurgeon said this, this is beautiful. He said, here is Jesus, the great king, the great savior who was meek enough to take the dross, meek enough to take broken sinners and build a holy habitation for himself in their lives. See, Jesus didn't take the pretty people. Jesus didn't call the able, he called the broken and the unable. Spurgeon goes on to say that he built for himself a habitation full of broken and faulty trees, planks full of knots, right? That's some of us in here, we're just a bunch of knotheads. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians that not many were noble, not many were wise. Those aren't the ones that Jesus called. That's us, right? We aren't noble. We aren't wise. We're broken. We're poor in spirit. We're people who mourn our inability to save ourselves. But then in that morning, we turn to the cross and we're comforted because despite our sin and our weakness, Christ, our meek king, died for prideful people like us. See, that's a humbling message, isn't it? See, because of the cross, I can't speak more highly of myself than I should. Because of the cross, I can let others in and allow them to point out my shortcomings. Because of the cross, I don't have to pretend to know it all or even act like I have it all together because I don't. Because of the cross, I don't have to defend myself or impress anyone. And the reason is because I am loved and valued by King Jesus. See, the secret to meekness is to get your eyes off of yourself and to get your eyes on Jesus, to set your eyes on the cross where your meek king died for your pride, where he died for my pride. And when we do that, we can't help but be humble We can't help but be meek. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they'll inherit the earth. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Father, we just want to come to you right now and say that, hey, we're all full of pride. And we're sorry. So, Father, forgive us for the ways that that we arrogantly look down on others. Forgive us for the the ways that that we um, uh, are bitter towards others. Forgive us for uh, our short temper. Forgive us for um, just the way that, that pride has infected our lives. And, Father, help us to stop looking at ourselves. Instead, look to you. Look to our King who, despite all of our sin, all of our weakness, all of our pride, said, I love you so much that I'm willing to take all of that upon myself, carry it to the cross and suffer and bleed and die in your place for your sins. And Father, when we turn our eyes from ourselves to Jesus, we see that we don't deserve any of that, but it's all been given to us by grace. And that is a message that humbles us. So I pray that it not just be something we do right now, that although we do that, but it be something that we do daily as we look to you and what you've done for us. Father, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you today as we've preached the gospel, I pray that you've opened their hearts and that you've saved them, that you've changed their lives, that they would not leave here today until they tell somebody, they come and talk to me or a deacon and just say, hey, man, I didn't know Jesus, but something's changed. And Father, for the rest of us, may we stand and sing now to our great King who died for proud people like us. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Would you please stand?